All right. Uh, <clears throat> dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little gravelly. We, we, we keep it at the end. That's going to be an outtake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. All right. All right. Here we go. Do not adjust your radio. Hello and welcome. Welcome. Another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on? Oh my he Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, man, bro. You know I what? Was, I almost <laughs> passed out, man. I don't know if I- <laughs> <laughs> You know what, man? I think we've done enough of these. I think we've done enough with these episodes, uh, V, that I think a lot of our listeners are as anticipatory of how right. I'm going to introduce you right, right, as right. they are for the content that they're going to hear. <laughs> like, how is this guy? How's he going to do it? Is he going to make he gonna it? do it this time? Yeah, is he going to make it through? Is he going to hit all the notes? What is he going to do? <laughs> is he going to hit all the notes without check, without choking, without his voice cracking up? <laughs> Well, people don't realize, man, is we, we, I mean, when we record these, it, I mean, it's always early. I mean, it's, re- and it's real early yeah. for you. You're on the West coast. It's real early for me. I mean, yeah. I've been up since like right now, as I look at the clock it's 723 AM yeah. on Saturday, uh, December 3rd, uh, 2022. And right, right now it's, uh, I've, I've been up since like four this morning. Yep. yep. So here's, just, yeah, here's, just, just, just trying to get the voice calibrated and stuff like that. Well, see, unlike you, for me, it's not a voice thing. It's a, did I get my notes right thing? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I was up at, I was up at 4 a.m. East Coast time to make sure that all the notes were were polished and tight. Gotcha. And gotcha. All of that good stuff. So, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely same, same deal. We, and we, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we're, we're, we're both, we're working on our notes up until oh, we hit record almost. Bro, I, we're, I just we're just wanna... trying to make everything's tight, everything's smooth. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just polishing for language, for grammar, yep. for <laughs> yep. Ty- typos, typos that you may have overlooked or something like that. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. OK, I know yeah. I meant to say this. Did I actually say it? How did that sound? Sometimes yeah. you need to. You, and, you know, as, as somebody who who writes often, sometimes you're thinking you said something. And if you're able to leave it, walk away from it and then yeah. come back to it, you go, oh, I didn't say that at all. You know, right. and exactly. uh, so that's yeah. that's that's the benefit of of having time. But hopefully and I know that this is true. Uh, the listeners appreciate the the amount of time 
uh, that we take for each one of these episodes that we're not skimping. We're not, we're not, th this is not something we've slapped together uh, last minute. It's something that we've thought about and, and really want to unpack for folks. So yeah, I, we've I been working on these for, for, for weeks. We, we take weeks to work on our notes and, and do our preparation. And what we want is clarity. Absolutely. We want to come across clear, uh, you know, we don't, we don't want to want anyone to be confused as they listen to us. That's one reason why we take the time to sort of manuscript uh, our, our content so we can go back and revisit it and look at it make sure everything's tight, make sure everything's clear uh, because we don't want anyone left in a confused state after they listen to any of our episodes. So yeah, yeah I'm glad you mentioned that, man. Yeah. Well, well is, it's good to be go back with you, bro. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, man, it's good to be back with you, man. After the Thanksgiving break and yes. everything, your birthday was just a little oh, while man. ago, man. How'd I, your birthday I, go? I, I thought I was going to get out of here without even a mention. Nah, bro. <laughs> hey, man, I'm not going to let you, not let you do that, bro. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it was good, man. It was, it was really good. I, I really do. I mean, the older I get, the more and more I, I try to keep that quiet you know i just uh for me it's it's not as much about my my wife and i are total opposites you know this well because you know you oh, know yeah. you know uh, sister tamika so yes she, experience she, yes you've experienced that <laughs> yeah so she she likes to make a big 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 deal of birthdays and i'm grateful for that i know that she her heart is all in just love and all of that i'm the exact opposite <clears throat> and so sometimes that clashes because on birthdays i really want it to be quiet just dinner right. and so when whenever i whenever i push my, you know, my natural proclivities with that onto her, it turns out bad, right? So I need to make sure that when I'm yeah. approaching her, I make a big deal of it, right? And 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 for her, I think this year in particular, she's recognizing that the the less that she does with regard to making it a a big production, the better. So I I all of that to say, uh, I had a very wonderful, quiet, uh, just dinner with with my bride and uh, just us together. Uh, celebration of birthday. Of course, there was you know folks were wonderful on social media with the with the attaboys and birthdays. I, you called me and and I, yeah. I missed the call, and so there, there were a lot of folks who reached out that way, and and I, I love that. Don't get me wrong, I, I love hearing from folks uh, in that way, uh, either social media or if, if we're connected, <clears throat> a phone call uh, or something like that. Love that, but that was that was about it. The thing that she did, and I think she was, I think this had started to be a bigger deal. I'll tell you this. She uh she initially started out with I thought I think she reached out to a bunch of folks and got and got video footage yeah. of them wishing me a, a, a happy birthday. And yeah. so it was interesting. Some of the people that responded, I was overwhelmed that certain people took the time out of their schedules as busy as they were, as busy as I know them to be, uh, that they took time out of their schedules to, to, to wish me a happy birthday. And uh, I was grateful for that, was able to circle back with I won't name names, but right. I will simply I will simply say that that, again, overwhelmed by, by the folks that, that you and I interact with in, in ministry as we've traveled, mm -hmm. uh, who, who took the time to stop and say, hey, thanks so much and, and, and wish me a happy birthday. So that was that was really, really special. But, but I got to enjoy that without like 150 people watching my reaction. So right. that, that was yeah. that, that was that was all the better. But needless to say, that's that's the long short of it. Had a great time. How about your how about your Thanksgiving, man? How did how did you enjoy? I know you you were here in the A. Uh, and as, as you yeah. came as you came this way and were traveling, I was headed to Omaha to go spend right. time with my kids. And so yeah. we were just kind of kind of traipsing back and forth. But how did things go for you? 
Yeah, things went great for us. Uh, you know, went back home to Atlanta, the Atlanta area. We're able to catch up on family and friends. We're able to 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 spend uh, uh, a Wednesday night with a, a Thanksgiving dinner with the brothers and sisters at our former church mm. uh, there. So it was really cool because we surprised them. We didn't let anyone know we were coming, so it was oh, a surprise cool. for them. So we were able to fellowship with them over their annual Thanksgiving dinner. We actually came in the week before Thanksgiving because it was uh, more cost uh, prohibitive mm-hmm. uh, for us to do that as opposed to going in the week of Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. uh, it was all well and good. So we were actually here back here in California for Thanksgiving day. Yeah. Uh, so we spent Thanksgiving day here and, and, and it was, it was a, it was a great time, man. Just, just had a blessed time. Just looking forward mm-hmm. to the next time that we can go back there. You never, when you're, when you're this far from your family as we are, I mean, we're on opposite ends of the country. Yeah. Uh, you, you look forward to every opportunity you can to go back home and check on, check yeah. on folks. So yeah. uh, we, we cherish that time. And it, it, it was, uh, it was an incredibly blessed time, bro. It yep, really was. Yeah. Yep. I'll, I'll, I'll mention, I'll mention one name that reached out and, and it was Colin, man. And he, I was blown away that he reached out and just connected and uh, just said, happy birthday, shot me a text message, man. It was great to hear from him and uh, just family of yours and such. It was really, really neat, real special for me. So that was awesome, man. Yeah. I, I didn't know that, man. I didn't realize that. That's yeah, cool, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool that's what I, I thought. I thought you'd be, I thought you'd appreciate that. So <clears> in, cool in, Anyway, with that said, man, we've got a lot to jump into in this episode by way of just just a a few handful of quick uh, announcements. I know that folks are are aware of two things. One that I want to make them aware of. One is uh, the G3 conference that we have coming up uh, September uh, 21st through the 23rd uh, is the national G3 conference. We're excited about that. Want to encourage folks to to get online to sign up for that g3men.org. You and I have a special code and I don't know how we would get a special code. Can you think of a reason why we would get a special code for G3, bro? I don't, I have no idea, bro. I mean, I mean, really? I'm totally lost with that, man. I'm like a special code. We got what? a special code, man. We got a, we got a special man. code for our, for our listeners, man. And it is G3 JT, G3 JT. You can use that for 30, for 30% off. Uh, on the conference. And so I want to encourage you to participate, jump on G3JT. I've kind of set up a little contest, man, with some of these podcasters that we've partnered with, man, and just said, hey, let's see who can get the most folks to to, to G3 and uh, how much money we can save them. And so I've got I've got a little something, something going on on that piece as well. So excited about that as well. This is the time of the year, especially when people begin to think about gift giving uh, and, and and particularly uh, giving to uh, ministries, uh, uh, organizations that matter to you. I know uh, that just thinking has met has mattered in the life of a lot of people. Uh, and as a result, man, we're going to encourage you uh, to as, as things begin to unwind toward the end of the year, you begin to think about giving gifts, uh, especially financial gifts. We really we, we really love you to support us. Think about this from a standpoint of the support for us in prayer uh, as well. Financial donations as well. So so want to make that mention. You can go to just thinking dot me uh, and and give right there online. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, just uh, just to sort of elaborate on that uh, URL for a little bit, just go to justthinking.me slash support, hit, hit the support link and you can donate online to us. And just as a reminder, Just Thinking Ministries is a nonprofit 501c3 organization with uh, the IRS. So all your financial donations to Just Thinking Ministries are tax deductible. Uh, so as Virgil said, just go out to justthinking.me, hit the support tab, the support link, and you can donate uh, to our ministry online. And we want to thank you in advance for that. Uh, any other announcements from UV? I have one, but anything I, else from you, man? 
I can't think of. I mean, I I can think of a lot if you want to give me time. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got we got books coming. We got but we'll save that for the other side of the year. And I know because I know we want to jump into this topic specifically. But yeah, absolutely, man, go for it. All right, I have one announcement, and I'm going to make this announcement on behalf of Grace Productions. Grace Productions is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Southern California, and Grace Productions is is in the process of producing a documentary titled The Essential Church. Now, as many of you know, Grace Community Church, which is led by Dr. John MacArthur, my boss, uh, took the courageous stand, uh, the church, MacArthur, and the elders there took the courageous stand to keep its doors open during the COVID lockdowns in 2020. And consequently, Grace Community Church ended up filing a lawsuit and by God's grace being victorious in that lawsuit against the state of California and the county of Los Angeles. The Essential Church film will document the principal stance Grace Community Church took in 2020 and how that stance remains in effect from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, a biblical perspective. Uh, the film is tentatively scheduled for release in the summer of 2020. But if you want to learn more about the Essential Church film or if you want to support financially the film's production, please visit EssentialChurchMovie.com. That's Essential Church Movie. That's all one word. EssentialChurchMovie.com to learn more about the film and uh, perhaps even um, uh, support the film's production uh, financially. Again, that's EssentialChurchMovie.com. All right, V, that's it for me, man, as far as announcements, man. You ready to dive into this, bro? Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, so we're recording this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast in between the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays in 2023 here in the United States. And our choosing to release this particular episode of the podcast in conjunction with those two holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, especially considering the topic we're addressing in this episode, uh, our, our doing this episode at this time of year is no accident or coincidence. Now, we know that within the providence of God, there, there are no such things as accidents or, or coincidences. But I just want our listeners to know that it is very deliberate that we chose this time of year to uh, release an episode on the on the topic we're going to be dealing in dealing with rather in uh, episode 20, 121 of the Just Thinking podcast. And that topic specifically is the topic of suffering. So we titled this episode A Biblical Theology of Suffering, A Biblical Theology of Suffering. Now, in case some of our listeners are curious as to why we decided to take up the subject of suffering. Again, at this time of year, particularly when people's reflections are, generally speaking anyway, more inclined toward thoughts that are more uplifting and cheerful. The reason we chose this topic of suffering is because suffering is a reality in this life that we as professing believers in Jesus Christ are rarely, if ever, inclined to give thanks to God for. I want to repeat that. We chose this time of year to release this episode of Biblical Theology of Suffering because Suffering, though it is a reality in this life, for believers and unbelievers alike for that matter, suffering is rarely, as it relates to believers specifically, suffering is rarely something that we are inclined to give God give God thanks for. Now, I say that in light of what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, which in the non-Arminian Standard Bible translation reads this way. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. Now, that verse is going to be foundational to our discussion in this episode, Omaha. So I want to take a few moments right now to unpack that text briefly for our listeners. The first thing I want to focus on is that that, that adjective, everything, everything. First Thessalonians 5.18, the adjective, everything in that verse is translated to mean that we're to give thanks for all things of all kinds. Okay. All things of all kinds, things to the superlative degree. In other words, and I'm giving thanks to God. Nothing is to be excluded. Nothing is to be excluded. So given that definition, it should go without saying that the sufferings that God providentially allows in our lives are not excluded from those things in which believers in Christ are to give thanks to God. I want to repeat that. It should go without saying, given that the word everything in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 means all things of all kinds, of all types, given that reality, it should go without saying that the sufferings that God providentially, and we're going to emphasize the providence of God in our sufferings throughout this episode, the sufferings that God providentially allows in our lives are not excluded from those things into which believers in Christ are to give thanks to God. Now, I say in which we are to give thanks to God as opposed to for which, because in and not for is precisely the word the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Now, I'm going to drill down further on that uh, in versus for distinction later in this episode, Omaha, but suffice it to say that distinction is an important one. For as we understand as believers that our sufferings are both providential and profitable, okay? As we understand as believers that our sufferings are both providential and profitable, we can give thanks to God both in that suffering, that's providential, and for that suffering, that's profitable. That's where the profitable comes in. We can both give thanks to God for the providentiality of the suffering and for the profitability of the suffering. But as we reflect on the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, I'd like us also to consider what the 16th century French reformer John Calvin says in his commentary on that same verse, which I believe warrants our prayerful consideration. Calvin said this, quote, he said, many pray in such a manner as at the same time to murmur against God. And let me pause right there. So Calvin's saying right here, at this, many believers, at the same time they're praying to God, they're murmuring against him under their voice, so to speak, sort of in a passive, aggressive kind of way. In the same way that they're praying to God, they're co complaining against him. So Calvin says, many pray in such a manner as, as at the same time to murmur against God and fret themselves if he does not immediately gratify their wishes. But on the contrary, it is befitting that our desires should be restrained in such a manner that contented with what is given us, we always mingle thanksgiving with our desires. Let me repeat that for the benefit of our listeners. Calvin said, but on the contrary, that is contrary to murmuring against God, it is befitting, he said, that our desires should be restrained in such a manner that contented with what is given us, we always mingle thanksgiving with our desires. We may lawfully, I'm still quoting Calvin here, we may lawfully, it is true, ask, nay, sigh, and lament, but it must be in such a way 
that the will of God is more acceptable to us than our own. That the will of God is more acceptable to us than our own. That was uh, John Calvin from his commentary on 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Now, those words from Calvin are incredibly profound, Omaha, because not only are they profound, they're incredibly sobering as well. And I say that because it goes against the natural inclination of our flesh to, as Calvin said, be contented with what is given us. It's just against the natural bent of our flesh to be content with what is given us. And conversely, it goes against our flesh to always mingle thanksgiving with our desires, as Calvin said. That's not who we are by nature. It's just not who we are to be content with what is given us. It's not who we are to always mingle thanksgiving with our desires. And I make that assertion, Omaha, because the truth is, you and are you and I are selfish by nature. We're selfish human beings by nature. We want what we want. We want how we want it, how we want it, and we want it when we want it. Mm-hmm. We want what we want, how we want, and when we want it. And that self-centered, me-focused mindset manifests itself in one form or, or another in our lives on a daily basis. With that in mind, rightly did Charles Haddon Spurgeon say in his sermon titled Marath or the disappointed, which he preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle on September 25th, 1873. Spurgeon said this, he said, who are you that everything should happen just as you wish? Should the weather be fine simply because you want it to be so when a thousand fields are gasping for rain? Should you have the channels of trade turned in your direction when, if that were the case, scores of others would be beggared? Is everything in this world to be so arranged that you shall be the darling and pet of providence? That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon, Marath or the Disappointed. Now, Spurgeon's words, Omaha, bring to my mind the following thoughts by Dr. Gabriel N.E. Fleurer. That last name is F-L-U-H-R-E-R. Dr. Gabriel N.E. Fleurer, who is senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Fleurer, in his book titled The Beauty of Divine Grace, said this, quote, If we know God's providence only by description, if all we possess is a secondhand knowledge of it, we will acknowledge his providence but will not fall in love with it. Okay, let me pause right there because that's mic drop level material right there, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Dr. Fleurer, in his book The Beauty of Divine Grace, If we know God's providence only by description, if all we possess is a secondhand knowledge of it, we will acknowledge his providence, but we will not fall in love with it. If, on the other hand, we know God's providence by acquaintance, if we have fallen in love with the God of the sun and the storm, we will not have just intellectual assent to his providence, We will also have a deep affection for this incomparable, glorious, sovereign God, unquote. Again, that was Dr. Gabriel N.E. Fleurer from his book, The Beauty of Divine Grace. Now, those words from Dr. Fleurer, Omaha, remind me of a band I used to listen to back in the 80s called Madagascar. The band was named Madagascar. And on one of their albums, Madagascar released a song titled Rainbow. And the lyrics of of the chorus of that song were these. No, I'm not going to sing it, listeners. You're going to have to just bear with me as I read these lyrics out. The lyrics of that song, Rainbow, were these, and I thought it was very fitting for our conversation here today. 
the, the chorus went like this. It said, everybody wants to see the rainbow, but nobody wants the rain. Everybody wants to feel the good times, but no one can stand the pain. Everybody wants to see the rainbow, but nobody wants to rain. Everybody wants to feel the good times, but no one can stand the pain. Just something to think about. What you got, Omaha? Bro, you covered a lot of ground in that section. <clears throat> and uh, uh, so I'm going to start back at the at the very top where you began by talking about the timing of this particular episode. Every time I think about uh, the holidays or particularly uh, the Christmas holiday, uh, there's there's one song that rings you know, loudest in my mind. And that is a song by Andy Williams, uh, written in 1963. The song is titled, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and, and that, that, for me, right after Thanksgiving, right after the Thanksgiving, you know, uh, turkey is put up, uh, things are packed up. Uh, and I know for us, when we were in Omaha, because we knew that we wouldn't be back there to see our, our kids during the holiday, we started kind of putting up a Christmas tree and kind of doing all that, all that, you know, all that stuff. And one of the very first songs uh, that, that that I threw up on on the uh, uh, you know on the on the television screen uh, for us to listen to as a backdrop is is that very song by Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, it, the, the lyrics are: It's the most wonderful time of the year, with the kids jingle belling. And everyone telling you to be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. This this next verse is the hap, happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings. When friends come to call, it's the hap, happiest season of all. Um, I thought about that in light of the topic that we're covering, because for many, uh, it's this season particularly that creates for them a, a, a higher level of anxiety, a higher level of stress, uh, a higher level of concern. Um, and, and the truth is, when you begin to look at mental health organizations, uh, you know, how, they, how, how they're examining uh, what's happening in culture, it's this time of the year that they actually amp up their preparation uh, in anticipation of an influx of different situations, family issues, and, and, and related mm -hmm. things. Uh, they, mm -hmm. they, they prepare for that during the holidays, uh, whether it's loneliness, anxiety, grief, depression, all of these are on the rise during uh, this time of year. So while on the one hand, you hear the singing of the hap happiest season of all, it's the hap happiest time of the year. Uh, the reality is for many, that's not the case. And in anticipation mm -hmm. of this episode, I know you had tweeted things out and let folks know what we were talking about. I had a number of people, and I'm sure you did too, who reached out and, and asked the question, you know, when you talk about suffering, uh, will you simply be focusing on Christian persecution or will you talk about issues related to everyday challenges of life like illness, disease, relationships, and persecution. The reality is I, I know that we'll cover uh, what we do in, in the just thinking podcast is we open up the scriptures. Uh, and yeah. as we, as we turn we, pages, man, we turn pages here. And, and as we do, scripture has a great deal to say about all of those things. Um, the reality is persecution, or let me say it this way. Suffering isn't an isolated episode. It's not as if, like, for example, let's say Christian persecution. Christian persecution isn't, you know, they're, they're angry at me for, the, for, the, for, the, for my sharing of the gospel. And that only impacts one area of your life. No, it impacts every area of your life. It may impact you physically. It may impact you mentally. It may impact you, you know, uh, uh, spiritually. So, so every facet 
of suffering is in view uh, when we talk about this particular subject. The book, the book that immediately comes to mind as it relates to suffering is the book of Job. Um, mm-hmm. The suffering, Amen, yep. That, yep, the suffering that he endured initially was was familiar, right? It was it was it was family, their health. Uh, you know that they, they, I mean, the news that he gets at, at the very beginning uh, chapter of the of the book is his family has died, right? Um, mm-hmm. At, for him, it was not only his family; it was health related, but but it was also spiritual. So so mm-hmm. I say that in light of the fact that that though though he underwent suffering, it, it wasn't an isolated. Okay, it's only this and not these other things. Uh, in in every regard, it it has it has a magnifying impact uh, into other aspects and areas of of your life. It's interesting again that that Job, uh, the book of Job, is actually one of the earliest books in Scripture. Right. It's it's as if God knew that the hardship that we would endure because of the fall of humanity uh, would would desire would, would would be something that we would navigate and be thinking about. And he desired to give us a text of scripture to show us exactly how to address it uh, when it comes to suffering. I, I, I also think of of Joseph. Right. Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers and then uh, lied on by by Potiphar's wife uh, and then sent to prison. Uh, and while imprisoned, uh, he, he he crafts a, a, a you know a, really God uses him uh, to let the cupbearer mm-hmm. know that that he would he would be remembered uh, by by the king and and he would have it he, his life would be saved. His only ask was that he would be remembered. And and Scripture chronicles that it was two years of Joseph maintaining his 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 prison status before the cupbearer would remember. Who he was, and so uh, suffering is, is multifaceted and has a tremendous impact. It's not siloed. That's the biggest point that I wanted to make uh, in this section. It's it's mental, it's physical, it is, it's it's also spiritual, and we have to ad- address it and deal with it from a holistic perspective. One of the things that that I want to add to this section, as you talked about, I thought I, I thought you, you did such a great job of of talking about suffering in. And suffering for uh, those mm-hmm. two issues were of great of great importance uh, as it relates to us understanding what we're dealing with in suffering. Suffering in that's providential. You mentioned that earlier. This is this is the mm-hmm. providence of God. This is the mm-hmm. so so yeah we're, we're suffering in that, but also it, suffering is for the purpose of our sanctification. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a sanctifying work in, in our lives. I think about, uh, Romans chapter eight, we often, we often, you know, cite the idea that, that, you know, for those who love God, uh, you know, that, that all things work together for his good. Uh, we miss verse 29 where it tells us why, why that's the case, right? It's to be conformed uh, into the image of his son. I, I know you're going to deal with this a bit later on, but, but when, when I think about, about that, and I think about the, the providential hand of God, the sanctifying work, uh, that's suffering plays as a as, as as a role in our lives uh, we we should be thanking God in the same way that job did uh, job thanked God uh, he stopped in, in the very first first chapter he stops and thanks God uh, and worships God uh, mm-hmm. for his providential hand uh, in his life God the, the Lord gives the Lord takes away right and so mm-hmm. uh, we need to have that mindset as we deal with this issue of suffering you know, Omaha, what I'm about to deliver for our listeners, man, is a hard truth in light of what you just said. Everything you just walked us through. I love how you just brought up Job uh, and how God and his providence, um, you know, uh, determined that Job would be one of the earliest books of Scripture mm-hmm. ever written. I thought that was a brilliant, man. The context that you gave that uh, as it relates to the, uh, the, the, the suffering that we would incur and, and, and endure and encounter in this sinful world. Uh, but what I'm about to say is a very hard truth for uh, that, that, that may be a hard truth for some of our listeners to uh, to hear and to accept. But I think it needs to be said. 
Though we may not want to admit this, much of our time in this world is spent living for ourselves and for our own self-interest, our own concerns and our own comforts. Um, I, I, uh, I mentioned in my la- previous segment, rather, how uh, just hey, just confessing on my own, how uh, I and I think humanity in general, uh, we're, we're very selfish. We're very selfish in how we go about living our lives day to day. We're very self-focused, very self-centered. So I think against that reality, it needs to be said that much of our time in this world is spent living for ourselves, for our own self-interest, our own concerns and our own comforts and not for what will conform us to the image of Christ. And that conformity often involves suffering. That's exactly what you were just talking about. And why should it not involve suffering? That's the question. Why shouldn't it involve suffering? Why should our being conformed into the image of Christ, which is God's will for every believer? Why should that conformity not involve suffering? After all, it was Jesus himself of whom the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter five, verse eight, that although Jesus was a son, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered, Mm -hmm. through the things he suffered. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. Our suffering, and you alluded to this, Omaha, Our suffering is geared toward that same end, that we might learn obedience. That's another way of saying sanctification, that we might learn obedience and thus be conformed to the image of our beloved Savior. As Dr. R.C. Sproul writes in his book titled Surprised by Suffering, Sproul says this quote. He says, we are followers of Christ. We follow him to the Garden of Gethsemane. We follow him into the Hall of Judgment. We follow him along the Via Dolorosa. We follow him unto death. But the gospel declares that we also follow him through the gates of heaven. Because we suffer with him, we also shall be raised with him. If we are humiliated with him, we also shall be exalted with him. Because of Christ, Sproul says, our suffering is not useless. Did you hear that, listener? Because of Christ, our suffering is not useless. It is part, Sproul writes, it is part of the total plan of God who has chosen to redeem the world through the pathway of suffering, unquote. That was the late Dr. R.C. Sproul from his book, Surprised by Suffering, which I highly recommend our listeners get a copy of and read. Dr. Sproul's words, Omaha, point me back to the quote I read earlier from John Calvin from his commentary in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, where he said that though we may lawfully lament, and by lawfully he means biblically, not recklessly or haphazardly. Calvin said we may lawfully lament, but that we must also do that in such a way that the will of God is more acceptable to us than our own will, Calvin said. That we can lament, yes, it is lawful to lament, but as we lament our situations and circumstances of suffering, we must do so in such a way that the will of God remains more acceptable to us than our own will. And what I want folks to to note here in what Calvin said, please note that Calvin said we may lawfully lament. He did not say we may lawfully complain. Okay, there is a difference there. There's a difference. That difference is highlighted in the following passage from the aforementioned sermon by Charles Adden Spurgeon, the sermon Maroth or the Disappointed. And in that sermon, Spurgeon said this quote, listen closely, listeners. Spurgeon said, disappointments in this life 
although they are at times very painful, are sometimes of such a character that could we know all the truth, we should not lament them. There are many who have looked forward to a change in their condition in life or their position in society, and they have been disappointed. For a time, they have been ready to wring their hands in anguish. Yet if they knew what the consequences would have been, if their expectations had been realized, they would fall down upon their knees and devoutly praise the Lord for the disappointment, which had been so great a blessing in disguise to them. It is divine love, Spurgeon said, and infallible wisdom that have ordered all things for you up to this very moment. So whatever your disappointments may have been, comfort yourself with the assurance that they have been among your greatest blessings, unquote. Again, that was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon titled Marath or the Disappointed. Spurgeon says that you need to take time to reflect that your disappointments have actually been great blessings in disguise. So when we complain against God, when we complain against God, we are really committing idolatry in actuality. Whenever we complain against God, we are committing idolatry. Complaining against God is idolatry because it is fundamentally self-worship. And when you worship anything or anyone other than the one true God, that's idolatry. Self-worship is that worship in which what we desire for ourselves is of greater importance, significance, and concern to us than what God desires for us. Another way of saying that is that we seek to glorify ourselves rather than seeking to glorify God. And there's no greater opportunity for that kind of fleshly self-worship to manifest itself in our lives than in times of suffering. Because it is in those times that we have the myopic propensity to interpret our suffering only as something that God is doing to us as opposed to something God is doing in us or through us. Did you hear that, listener? It is in times of suffering. When we're suffering, when we're going through adversity, there's no greater opportunity than that for our flesh to manifest our selfishness. Because it's in those times that we fail to remember that our suffering is providential. It's providential. And we interpret our suffering only as something that God is doing to us, as opposed to something God is doing in us or through us. To Virgil's point earlier about sanctification, we totally lose sight of that. It is in those moments of despair, desperation, and despondency that we forget that our suffering is both providential and profitable. And the reason our suffering is profitable is because it's providential. We need to remember that. Nothing happens to us in a vacuum. Listen, Ligonier Ministry Teaching Fellow, listen to what Ligonier Ministry's Teaching Fellow, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, says about that in his book titled Lessons from the Upper Room. In Lessons from the Upper Room, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, quote, people often assume that the glory of God stands in antithesis to their own blessing and may even be his calculated denial of it. It is as if they believe, as they in fact do, that every ounce of God glory, uh, every ounce of glory God gets, they believe that every ounce of glory God gets proportionately diminishes their happiness and pleasure, unquote. Ferguson is exactly right. 
because we have a warped view of our suffering. We have an unbiblical, improper, improper view of our suffering. We don't realize our suffering is being both providential and profitable. Ferguson is absolutely right. We think that as we suffer, God is robbing us of happiness. He's robbing us of something. That's what we, we have a propensity to think in our, in our nature as selfish human beings. And I think what Ferguson said, there's a very good assessment of how we often think about God during times of suffering, Omaha. But the God we serve is not a divine ogre. That's kind of, that's kind of how we look at God when we're going through something. We see God as some divine ogre up there in heaven. We see him as some sort of heavenly masochist who derives some macabre sense of enjoyment or satisfaction from watching his people suffer. But that's not what some, uh, but that's that's what some, perhaps even many professing believers think about God. And And that's precisely where their lives are completely devoid of joy. Not even in their suffering, but even when they're not suffering. Their lives are completely devoid of joy because they see God as some sort of divine ogre up there, robbing us of some degree of happiness, pleasure, and satisfaction in our lives. And a primary factor in that kind of faulty theological reasoning is our failure to apply the precept found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, uh, verse 15. In Colossians 3, 15, the Apostle Paul says, he exhorts us to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule dominate, okay? Let the peace of Christ dominate in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, the verse says, and be thankful. When we let the peace of Christ, you can see that in John 14, 27, for definition of what the peace of Christ is. When we let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts, and not the mirage or illusion of peace that the world offers. We can be genuinely thankful in every circumstance and situation. But when we fail to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts in gratitude, in an attitude of ingratitude, not gratitude, is a result. So when you go for allowing your feelings and your emotions, your circumstances, what you can see on the outside to dominate you, the result is not the peace of Christ. It's exactly the opposite. And that opposite result is born out of a heart of ingratitude, not gratitude. Paul says we ought to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and that we ought to be thankful. When we don't do that, that's the result of a heart of ingratitude. Pastor Jeffrey Kirkland of Christ Fellowship Bible Church in St. Louis, Missouri, addresses that issue in a blog article he wrote titled Diagnosing and Mortifying the Sin of Complaining. I love that title. Diagnosing and Mortifying the Sin of Complaining. And in that article, Pastor Jeffrey Kirkland says this, quote, The corruption of complaining is that it is a very sly assault and it is a frontal attack on the goodness of God. Complaining is a sin where the sinful heart of man rises up against God, draws its weapon, and aims it at the goodness of his person, the wisdom of his plan, and the sovereignty of his rule. Oh, may God deliver us from this monster of complaining. Unquote. Again, that was Pastor Jeffrey Kirkland from his blog article titled Diagnosing and Mortifying the Sin 
of complaining. Conversely, in an article written for Desiring God titled, We Complain Because We Forget, Pastor Stephen Lee of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota said this, quote, Grumbling, whining, and thanklessness are not ultimately the heart's responses to circumstances, but to God. Israel grumbled at their enslavement, grumbled when Moses came on the scene, and still grumbled as they wandered safely in the wilderness. Their complaining wasn't rooted in their scenery, but their heart. The same is true for you. A heart of gratitude and thankfulness isn't dependent on your bank statement, doctor's diagnosis, or the praise you receive for a job well done. Thanklessness and grumbling, regardless of your situation, even your suffering, reflect your heart. They are sin. Spiritual amnesia is a deadly disease that threatens your faith and your joy more than any cancer. It penetrates to the core and rots your heart from within. Unquote. Wow. Those are some powerful words from Pastor Stephen Lee. Again, an article he wrote for Desiring God titled, We Complain Because We Forget. Now, Omaha, I like what both pastors Kirkland and Lee had to say about complaining. But I especially appreciate what Pastor Lee said about complaining of complaining spirit being more deadly than cancer because it rots your heart from within, he said. And he's absolutely right. And a primary way of that, that that kind of heart rot is evidenced in our lives is that we get angry at God for the suffering he providentially ordains for us to undergo. We get angry with him for that. Instead of recognizing God's sovereignty in our suffering, as did Job, who you alluded to earlier, Omaha, of whom it says in Job chapter 1, verse 22, that through all this, that is to say, through all the unimaginable suffering that Job endured, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. That's Job one twenty two. What we often do, instead of having that attitude that Job had, what we often do is look for ways to avoid suffering altogether, as if suffering were somehow in conflict with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, it may very well have been Job whom John Calvin had in mind when he wrote this in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, quote, If there is no better remedy against anger and impatience, we will have made no small progress if we have so learned to meditate on God's providence in such matters that we keep coming back to this one thought. The Lord has willed it. We must therefore bear it patiently. This is not only because it is wrong to resist, but because God wills nothing that is not just and expedient, unquote. Now, Calvin's words bring to my mind what regular listeners to the Justing and Podcast will recall as being my favorite verse in the entire Old Testament. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14, where in the NESB it reads this way, In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember, the Lord has made the one as well as the other. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember this. Consider this. The Lord has made the one as well as the other. That's Ecclesiastes 7.14. Another way to look at that is to consider these words from the Puritan Thomas Manton, who said this. Reckon much 
of their present service and enjoyment of God, though it be accompanied with afflictions. God's people are wont to prefer the most afflicted condition with God's presence above the greatest contentment in his absence. Better to be with God in the wilderness than in Canaan without him. That was Thomas Manton. Says it's better to be with God in the wilderness than in Canaan, than in the promised land without him. You know, as I've often said, Omaha, if we as professing believers in Jesus Christ can but grasp and apply the reality of Ecclesiastes 7.14, which is a one-verse testament to the sovereignty of God in every circumstance of our lives, if we could just grasp that, we will mature in Christ-like patience and endurance, regardless of how suffering might providentially manifest itself in our life. That's one of my favorite Puritans, John Flavel, said in his book titled Christ Humbled and Exalted, quote, Patience is a power to suffer hard and heavy things according to the will of God. It is a passive fortitude whereby we are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all long suffering with joyfulness. That's Colossians 1 verse 11. The loss of our patience under adversity points to a decay of strength in the soul. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. That's Proverbs 24.10. God has several sorts of burdens to impose upon his people, Flavel says. Some are heavy and some are light. Some are to be carried for a few hours and some for many days. Some are internal and some external. Sometimes God imposes both at the same time. That was the case with Christ. His soul was burdened by the full sense and apprehension of the wrath of God while his body was filled with tortures in every member. Here, Flavel says, was the highest exercise of patience. Unquote. Omaha, what you got, man? Quite a lot of ground, man, that you covered in that section. And I, I kind of wanted to, as, as, I, as I walked through and kind of listened to, to what you were share, sharing, man, I, I, I thought about it in, in kind of two categories. <clears throat> the one is uh, you started out, and, and I want to revisit the quote, actually. Uh, you started out by quoting Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Uh, I thought that what he shared there was so paramount and that was such an anchor that I want to go back and revisit it. But, but let me tell you the two kind of sections to break this out in. Uh, I, I mean, I, I try to do this for our listeners when we, when we give them such dense theology, which is exactly, I mean, this, this, the, the title of what we're, you know, of this, of this particular podcast is a theology of suffering, right? We're talking about, right. about the doctrine of suffering. And so what, what mm-hmm. you're delivering is just that. So, so they're getting what's promised, right? The theology right. of suffering. This is what scripture has to say. This is what uh, church historians have, have had to say. This is, you know, this is uh, what, what we've looked at through scripture and, and what scripture has to say about these things. And, th- and this could be a tremendous amount of, of dense theology to digest. And so as we do on the back end of it, as I always do when I approach our podcast is I'm trying to think of what angle can I take outside of where we went that would be helpful to the person listening. And as I walked through kind of the, the, the notes that you sent to me early is, is my thought was, how can we apply this to the practical everyday living condition of the person who's listening to this episode? Like what, what not, not only is, not only is the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. is, is a theological component important. It's in fact, it's, it's, it's critical 
if we don't have a theological foundation, if we don't have a biblical foundation for the practical applications, then what we're doing is, is something you, you constantly mention in your talks. We're, we're having our feet firmly planted in midair. Right. If, if, if our right. feet aren't planted on the solid foundation of Scripture, uh, we're, we're just we're just responding on the basis of, of whims of, of emotion. Uh, and, and we don't want to do that. So, one, we need to think about our disappointment. And that's our disappointments and suffering recognize it kind of a fleshly response. Right. It, it's as if we we don't deserve this. You mentioned it earlier. You, you, we think we don't deserve to to engage or to be uh, a, a participating in suffering. That's so then that's a, that's a fleshly response. But the other thing you came out of out of that was you talked about what that response looks like. And what that response looks like is complaining, right? We we end up you know, we know what mm-hmm. what happens in our heart and then out of that out of that response uh out of our mouths uh come the, the complaints. So I want to deal with that in two ways. I want to go back to the the first quote that you gave from uh from uh from Spurgeon which said disappointments in this life although they are at times very painful are sometimes of such uh, of such a character that could we know all the truth we should not lament them i want to stop there mm-hmm. because i want to pause and think about this like if we really truly believed what what Spurgeon is is, is saying here, and, and he's he's pulling this from from Scripture's constant reminder uh, for us not to be discouraged, not to be heartbroken, and and to and to lean into the providential will of God. If we understand that disappointments in this life are are are, are sometimes of such character that could we know all the truth about them, we would not lament them. How would we respond when we are disappointed? What would it look like for us to respond? Let me continue reading because this is really good. He says, there are many who have looked forward to a change in their condition in life or their position in society, and they've been disappointed. For a time, they have been ready to wring their hands in anguish, which which you've mm-hmm. indicated. That's more lamenting, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yet, yet if they knew the consequences, if they knew what the consequences would have been, if their expectations had been realized – they would fall down on their knees and devoutly praise the Lord for the disappointment, which they had been so greatly been so great a blessing in disguise to them. Mm-hmm. That's what we saw from Job. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, 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 that's great what we, point. Great that's, point. That's what we witness as Job as Job is giving this avalanche of ongoing information about the death of his sons, the death of daughters, the death of family. And, and, you know, he go, he goes on to, to, to wring his clothes. You, you, you mentioned it, uh, uh, Job chapter one, verse 20. Uh, uh, he hears about this horrible news. And he says this, that it, the scripture reads this way. It says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. Worship. I, I want to pause because I want to ask how many of you listening to uh, the unveiling of this of this theology of work of, of this theology of suffering have a love of God, have an understanding of God, have a trust of God and his will that given the nature of this kind of news that you would, you would tear your robe, shave your head. Un- and, and all of that means he, he understands the gravity of the, of mm-hmm. the situation of mm-hmm. the news that he's been getting. It's, it's not a, I ignore it. I, I it's, it's not prosperity gospel. I, I won't name it and I won't proclaim it. That's not it. it it's a, it's a mm-hmm. full, it's a full orbed understanding of the situation of the condition. And yet you fall to the ground 
and worship. In verse 21, he says this, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. And here, here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the meat of, of it. I, I look at that. I want to go back to the quote because it, 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 really, it really amplifies what's happening here. You know, if you understood, when, when Spurgeon says, if you understood the condition of the situation, you would devoutly praise the Lord, even for the disappointments, which have been such a great blessing in disguise. Let me take it one step further if I can here, in that when we think about disappointments in life, how often are we disappointed? I mean, you know, for some, it happens all the time. For some, it's fewer, you know, maybe some say, ah, not, not, not so not so much. Um, when I think about the holiday season and I think about family relationships, how often are we disappointed in those family relationships? Mm-hmm. How, how how often is there separation in our our family relationships or strain because of some backstory, some thing that we feel like we suffered in the past? What would it look like for us, given the season, given an understanding of a theology of suffering, to to count that 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 suffering, that challenge, that stress as as a blessing from the Lord, for the purpose of two things: one, God is providentially, God is sovereign even in the providential situations and circumstances in your life. And also the suffering is there for the purpose of your sanctification. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that separation there for? I mean, we, we know, we know the why it's there or the, or the conditions or the situation. And you may focus on the, on the so-and-so did such and such to me. And that's why I feel this way. But what would it look like for us to say, what am I to learn from God? What, what am I to, what am I to gain from the Lord in, in my life being conformed into the image of Christ that would help me navigate this situation differently. Finally, I want to say this regarding that. And, uh, you know, spouses often disappoint, you know, you, you get disappointments from spouses, you get separation from, from family members. Uh, even, even I've, I've heard you Daryl mention oftentimes that in your biblical counseling, when you're interacting with a couple, uh, oftentimes it's, it's, the situation is, is, you know, failed expectations, right? Some, somebody didn't uh, meet an expectation, right? Right. Uh, un, un, unmet, unrealistic expectations. Yeah. Unrealistic, unmet expectations. And so mm-hmm. a, as a result, disappointment in, incurs and, and, and you stack up enough of these disappointments, you know, you're feeling like, man, I'm suffering here. And, and so the answer then becomes, I'm going to go get a bottle or I, I'm going to, I'm going to get on the screen and look at some pornography you know, right. or I'm going to, I'm going to do, you, you, you fill in the blank. Right. right. Uh, or, right. or ultimately I, I need a divorce. I got to get out of here. Right. right. All of those are man-made responses to a situation of suffering to, to the, whereas what we should do is, is turn out, take our eyes off of us and turn to God who is the author of all, who is sovereign in all things. And, and this very situation that's been brought up may be a unique opportunity for you to worship God because it has been a blessing in disguise. Man, Those are the man. kinds of things that we need to think about. Man, I'll, come I'll on. Turn I'll turn it back to you, bro. Man, that was awesome. You know what? If I were to summarize everything that you just said, if I were to encapsulate everything you just said under one statement, it would be this. And this is to our listeners. I really want them to hear me closely on this. What this all boils down to is, is, is in situations of suffering and adversity. What do you believe? 
Absolutely. What do you believe in those moments? It all comes down to what do you believe? It doesn't come down to your circumstances. It doesn't come down to situations. It doesn't even come down to anyone else who was involved. If there were other people involved in the suffering that you're going through, sinfully involved is what I mean. It does. None of that matters. The only thing that matters in your moments of suffering and adversity is how, how do you answer this question? What do you believe? What are you believing in those moments? What are you allowing yourself to believe in those moments? That's, that's what it comes down to. Everything that Virgil just said in those past few minutes comes down to that. In those moments, what do you believe? Because that's where it all begins and ends. It all begins with what you're going to allow yourself to believe about that situation. Okay? That's what it all fundamentally comes down to. What do you believe about God? That's where it starts. Yes. We've been talking about this consistently through the episode at this point. At the, to, to this point. Do you believe the situation is providential? Mm-hmm. Now, how you answer that question is going to have a domino effect on how you respond on down the line. Do you believe this situation is providential? If no, you're going to respond to the left. If, and I don't mean this in a sort of political sort of metaphorical way, you're going to respond to the left. If, if yes, you're going to respond to the right. You're going to respond in truth. In one way, you're going to respond in your emotions. Right. And I promise you, more times than not, responding into your emotions is going to result in disaster. It's going to result in disaster. You cannot trust your heart. Proverbs 24, 26 is clear on that. The person who trusts in his own heart, Scripture says, is a fool. Is a fool. You have to be suspicious of your emotions. Mm. Be suspicious of your emotions in situations of suffering and adversity. Be submissive, suspicious of your emotions. Brilliant stuff, Omaha Rider. Absolutely wonderful, man. I'm glad you covered that ground that you did because it gives us an opportunity, as we try to do in every single episode of the Just Thinking podcast, to, uh, if I can say it this way, keep the main thing the main thing. And I love what you did, Omar, going back to the beginning. This is why we titled this episode A Biblical Theology of Suffering. Because if you don't view your suffering, first of all, theologically, you're already lost. You're gone. Theology, biblical theology, is what gives context to your suffering. Do you hear me? Having a biblically theological, theologically sound view of your suffering is what gives context to your suffering. Absolutely. As, absolutely it does. Because other, otherwise, if apart from a biblical view, apart from an understanding of, A, the sovereignty of God, of, of, of goodness, of, of, of good and evil, of right and wrong, uh, of justice. Man, right? come on, man. Of, of mercy, of, 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 of God, of God on, being, being over. Apart man. from that, Nothing. Nothing makes sense. It is. It, it, it's. It's really. It really is nothingness. I mean, it means absolutely nothing. Right. You, you're. You're suffering. Oh well. Too bad. So sad. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and and the worst kind of suffering. 
the, the, the kind of suffering that that, that 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 leads itself in what we're seeing in our culture right now with 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 you know with children uh, with with the pedophilia with a you know a, a child suffers that kind of damage apart from a biblical worldview. Oh well, it, it's just uh, the strong. The strong survive, and, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 the and the strong took advantage of the weak, and and so be it. You know, it, yeah. it is what it's it just, is. It, it just it, the re- it just reduces you to a sort of nihilistic Darwinism. That, that's that's what it brings you to. Absolutely, absolutely. When, when, you, when, when you see people suffer apart from a biblical theology of that, it's it's nihilism. It's fatalism. It's, 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 it's nothingism, really, is what you could call it. It's nothing. It has no meaning, no significance, no import whatsoever. It just, it just happened. Mm-hmm. You know, next up, next in line, yep. you know? Yep. So thank you for thank you for going there, Omaha. It was very important. Um, I just want to say this just to pick up on my thoughts. It, it should go without saying, okay? It should go without saying that our viewing God's will as more acceptable than our own, to refer back to the quote I shared earlier from John Calvin, Calvin, it should go without saying that our viewing God's will as more acceptable than our own is easier said than done. Okay. I get that. I realize that. Mm-hmm. And what makes it easier said than done is our sin. That's what makes it. That's what makes uh, sort of viewing God's will as more acceptable than our own. Our sin it was, is what makes that easier said than done. It was a 19th century English clergyman, John Angel James. John Angel James, who addressed that reality in a sermon titled Spiritual Joy, in which he said this, quote, sin dampens spiritual joy and ought to do so. I do not now mean immorality, for that should be quite obvious, but the lesser workings of our corruption, the sins of the heart, the sins of the tongue, the sins of the character, Sins known only to God and conscience, sins of omission and of defect, sins that do not unchristianize us any more than they excommunicate us from the church. Such sins unopposed and unmortified do and must prevent or diminish our joy. They may not put out the light of our piety altogether but they surround it with an impure atmosphere, a thick fog, which prevents its light from shining upon the heart. Unquote. That was an English century. I'm sorry, 19th century English clergyman by the name of John Angel James. That middle name Angel is A-N-G-E-L-L. John Angel James in a sermon titled Spiritual Joy. He says, by not having the right attitude, Those lesser sins that he talked about, sins of the heart, of the tongue, and of the character, they surround our heart with an impure atmosphere and prevent the light of Christ from shining within us. And if the light of Christ doesn't shine within us, we can't reflect that light to others. And you know, if we were honest, Omaha, we'd have to admit, I believe anyway, that we don't really want to suffer. If we were really honest, we'd have to admit we don't want to suffer, not even for Christ's sake. We just don't. We don't want to suffer. And I think that's the reality in spite of what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.29, that for you, that is to you, believers, to you it has been granted, gifted, is what that means in the Greek. It has been granted, it's been gifted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe him, believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Meditate, spend some time meditating on Philippians 129. 
For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, that's a one-verse apologetic against the prosperity gospel, by the way, in one verse. Not just to believe in Jesus. No, you just didn't get saved. No, you you saved to suffer. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Cruflo. You're saved to suffer. You're saved to suffer. So on the basis of that verse, Philippians 1.29, we should realize and accept that suffering is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, who himself suffered on our behalf by dying for the sins of his elect on a bloody Roman cross. Now, I want our listeners to meditate on that against these words from the 16th century Puritan William Perkins, who said this, quote, Christ in suffering was a mirror of all patience and meekness. He cites 1 Peter 2.21. And we in our suffering must show the like patience and that we are not deceived herein. Our patience must be voluntary, Perkins says. Our patience must be voluntary. That is, we must willingly and quietly renounce our own wills and subject ourselves in our sufferings to the will of God. Continuing to quote Perkins here, further, if it is asked whether the affections of grief and sorrow may stand with patience, I answer yes. For Christian religion does not abolish these affections, but only moderates them and brings them into subjection to the will of God when we lie under the cross. Unquote. Perkins says, you know, being a Christian, it doesn't remove affliction from your life, but it moderates them. It moderates them and brings them into subjection to the will of God when we lie under the cross. And therein is the key, Omaha, that in our suffering, we must. As William Perkins said, we must lie under the cross. Sadly, though, laying under the cross is a spiritual posture in which far too few of us are willing to subject ourselves. We don't take up that posture because we don't trust God. I'm going to let that marinate for a minute. The reason we don't lie under the cross in our suffering is because we don't trust God. We don't trust that that suffering is providential, that it is ordained by God and sent from him to you. Philippians 1.29 again. But the 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson in his book, The Duty of Self-Denial, has this to say to us as an encouragement. Listen to what Watson says. Again, this is from his book, The Duty of Self-Denial. Quote, a righteous man shall not be afraid of evil tidings with a despairing fear. He shall not so fear, but that the heart still sweetly rests upon God's promises. Now, let me pause right there, because what Watson is saying there takes us back to what I said earlier, that in your suffering, the question you must answer is, what are you believing? Are you resting upon God's promises, as Watson is saying here? 
Or are you resting on your own feelings and emotion and your own interpretation, your own fleshly interpretation of what the situation is that you're going through? Watson says, a righteous man shall not be afraid of evil tidings with a despairing fear. He shall not so fear, but that their heart still sweetly rests upon God's promises. It is with a godly man in time of danger as it is with a ship that lies at anchor. A ship at anchor shakes a little on the water, but it is fixed, being at anchor. So, though there may be some shakings and tremblings in the flesh, yet a Christian is not so tossed with fear, but he is like a ship at anchor. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord, unquote. That was Thomas Watson from his book, The Duty of Self-Denial. What you got, Omaha? Absolutely, man. This is this is interesting as you go through this particular section, because, again, as I as I walked through it, I, I saw two different things kind of unpacking here as well. You talked early on about the issue of, of spiritual joy and how sin dampens the spiritual joy that that we ought to have as a result. And uh, I, I mean, John uh, Angel James says that that it should it should it, sin should dampen our spiritual joy. I think more times than not. Christians who aren't comfortable with suffering are uncomfortable with it for two reasons. One, uh, they may view suffering wrongly, right? And, and, and what I mean by that is they may view godly chastisement as, as suffering, you know, uh, their right. own, their own sin, uh, uh, creating circumstances that, 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 that require, uh, not only repentance between them and the Lord, uh, but, but also consequence as a result of their, of their, of their sin. Uh, right. and so there, there's the, there's the, I think there's the conflation of those ideas of is this chastisement where I've sinned and now and now or sinned against another, uh, sinned against my spouse, and I'm dealing with dealing with issues of of what I would consider suffering. Is that suffering? And how do I compartmentalize that? I think I think I think we've got to uh, got to unpack that's chastisement. And and right. even and even in that, we still do what uh, what uh, who who was it that Perkins said, which is even in chastisement, what do we do? We lie under the cross. We still we still it, the, the, the same the same solution is there. We rest upon God's sovereign hand, even in that condition and situation. Uh, there may be some who are, who are listening to this going, you know, I, I've got those conflated. I've got those ideas kind of kind of conjoined. Uh, I don't know if this is suffering because of something I've done uh, that I shouldn't have done where, where I violated the law of God. I violated, uh, you know, the expectation of another uh, in, in, in a sinful way. Uh, and 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 as a result, I'm I'm experiencing this this bad time, this bad situation. Is that indeed suffering? I would say well, that that may well be chastisement, but the solution is still the same. It is it is to rest upon the grace and mercy of God, given you the believer under the cross of Christ. And so that 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 was a, a was one of the things that I wanted I wanted to make mention of. But as it pertains to to suffering in this world, the second the second point that I think is being being made here is that we are living in a time and in a church culture where we don't believe anything as it relates to suffering. Like we, we need to, our thought is that we, we need to escape it. Whatever it is, we yep. need to run, we need to run away yep. from it. Right. Modern Christianity has absolutely forgotten that message altogether. And, and when, uh, when we were in, um, 
uh, in Washington, D.C. at the regional conference, I talked about uh, the issue of the sufficiency of scripture and culture. One of the one of the issues that I opened with was this very topic of of suffering and the conflict that we as believers have in this world by nature of the met of the message of the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. We want to avoid that. We, we absolutely mm-hmm. want to avoid that. Christians throughout church history have always understood that that what we have in the once for all delivered to the saints faith is one of of, of perpetual suffering, of perpetual uh, a, a conflict that we're going to have with others in the world, um, as as well as, unfortunately, I think that the biggest pain of that comes from other believers. Um, yeah. In, in the body, in, in in Thomas Watson's writing, A Body of Divinity, he, he writes this. He says this, quote, a Christian is a military person. He fights the Lord's battles. He's Christ's ensign bearer. Now what though he endures a hard fate and the bullets fly about, he fights for a crown, end quote. If we understand, mm-hmm. man, that the nature of our suffering, the nature of persecution, the nature of chastisement that we undergo, is for the purpose of a greater crown, of, of, of a crown that we're to receive from God. Mm-hmm. We would endure each of those categories differently. Mm-hmm. We absolutely would, would view that very differently. In fact, uh, John Calvin writes this, quote, the life of a Christian, it is true, is a perpetual warfare. For whoever gives himself to the service of God will have no truce from Satan at any time, but will be harassed mm-hmm. with incessant disquietude. That man, therefore, is mistaken who girds himself for the discharge of this office and is not at the same time furnished with the courage and the bravery for contending. Mm-hmm. For he is not exercised otherwise than in fighting. For we must take this into account that the gospel is like a fire by which the fury of Satan is enkindled. If you are a mm-hmm. believer and you're proclaiming the truth of the gospel and, 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 you're, and, and you've consciously made a decision to endure that battle to the end, you're going to undergo suffering. Mm-hmm. You're going to undergo persecution. And to believe that the best way to, to not deal with this is to, uh, is to, is to check out. I'm, I'm going to check out of this. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to check out of this marriage. I'm, I'm going to check out of this relationship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out of this business issue. I'm going to check out of, out of these circumstances, this situation, so I don't have to deal with this anymore. You're fooling mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely fooling yourself. We are engaged in a constant Battle, and so your your the the final quote that you gave with uh, Thomas Watson in his book, the duty of self denial, bro. How how apropos? Yes, yes. How 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 foundational to the life of the believer? If if we recognize that 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 we are we are dead to self, that we are alive in Christ, we are new creations in Christ. And, and as a result, none of this is about or for for none of this is about us. It's all about amplifying who Christ is. And, and the sooner that we can understand that we are we, we are an extension of the glory of God in that we are daily, even in our sufferings, being conformed into the image of Christ, the better off we'll be. That's what I got for that section. Amen, bro. Again, it goes back. It goes back to what we we're saying earlier. What do you believe? Mm-hmm. It really is that simple. It mm-hmm. really is that simple. What are you believing? You know, I mentioned earlier, Omaha, subsequent to the quote that I cited from William Perkins about our lying under the cross, that to lay under the cross is a spiritual posture in which far too few of us 
are willing to place ourselves. Right. And I went on to say that a fundamental reason why we're unwilling to place ourselves in that posture is that we don't trust God in the midst of our suffering. We just don't trust him. And ironically, when suffering comes upon us, our trust in God tends to suffer either suddenly or gradually, depending on the nature, intensity, and duration of the suffering. Our trust in God dissolves because we have a preconceived notion of how he is supposed to operate in our lives. Mm. And when that preconceived notion is unrealized on our part, our response is often distrust, which leads to unbelief. And unbelief is precisely why Job's wife urged him to, quote, curse God and die in Job chapter two, verse nine. It was her unbelief. And it's interesting, though, that we have no scriptural record of Job's wife. We have no record in scripture of Job's wife urging Job to, quote, bless God and live while everything was going well with them and their family. Right. But as Job was in the process of scraping off his body, the sore boils that literally covered him from head to toe, she had the temerity to say to her husband, curse God and die. So when everything's going good, no record of her saying, wait, bless God and live, Job. But when things turned adversarial, curse God and die. You know, I, I often think, you know, just, just hearkening back to the fact that you and, you and I both are biblical counselors and we both have a passion passion for that Omaha. Um, I often think as uh, the prevalence of social media has become sort of the, the normative in society where uh, folks are wanting to pretty much share almost everything about what's going on with their lives. One of the things that I tend to notice is young people and how excited they are, young married couples, how excited they are. And I get it. So don't take this as a criticism of doing that. Uh, but I, I see young people who will, young couples who have just uh, are, are recently married, they'll post their pictures of their, their wedding photos. And then uh, may, maybe uh, months or a couple years after that, they're showing, you know, pictures of how in love they are. They're just doing everything together. They're young. They're healthy. They're, everything is going so well for them. And I can't help looking at some of those photos and thinking, you know, what, what, what would you, how would you respond, young husband? Or how would you respond, young wife? If the Lord providentially interrupted that happiness with a serious disease, a cancer diagnosis, hmm. or a serious car accident that left one of you partially paralyzed, mm-hmm. um, or uh, one of your children is uh, born with a uh, physical uh disability of one form or another. How would you respond to that? And, and, and I'm, 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 if you're listening to me right now and you fit that category of a, a young, married, happy, joyful couple, hey, praise God for that. All I'm saying is, this is life. And as God chooses to providentially conform you as a professing believer, into the image of his son, he's going to use suffering to do that. And I'm just encouraging and exhorting you right now to pray that God would prepare your heart for whatever that suffering is going to be. Because suffering in this world for the Christian is inescapable. Mm -hmm. It's inescapable. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. So ask and pray, plead with the Lord to prepare 
your heart for however means, whatever the means are that he chooses to conform you to the image of your son, because, hey, as, 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 as far as it is uh, experientially for you, the two of you to be enjoying one another, as you should, as you should, God bless you. Don't be naive to think that it's going to always be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something that, that we talked about earlier, which was in that, that I, I, I have to, I have, let me, let me actually pull it up in, in, in the notes because it was so profound uh, as, as you read that out, the quote from Spurgeon, yeah. which is, which is the, the, the recognition it, it's, 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 it's understanding that there is no doubt to the point you made. There is no doubt we will indeed undergo suffering. No doubt. It's inescapable mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if we're, if we're positioned rightly, if we have a sound biblical theology of suffering, we position ourselves in such a way that we can understand, A, the, the sovereignty and providence of God and the unique opportunity that we have for our own personal sanctification so that we can recognize this, this suffering as horrible as it may be, there is a blessing in disguise yes. awaiting us in disguise. Absolutely. In disguise. We have, we have to recognize that. And I, I think in that we, we, we endure it. I, I think about the, the, you know, the, the writer who says that, that Jesus endured the, it was for the joy before, before him that yeah, he endured, that's Hebrews 12. Absolutely. That he endured the, the the cross. If if we understand that, we pos- we rightly position ourselves. It doesn't mean we won't feel pain. That doesn't mean we won't feel uh, uh, angst. That doesn't mean we won't feel. But but we'll, we'll we'll position ourselves rightly so that we don't sin against God. It won't be that we'll ignore. It's it's not this pie in the sky prosperity gospel. I just won't confess it. I just won't believe it. No, you mm-hmm. can believe it's happening. You can understand it's happening. You can even go to scripture and define why it happens. Right. But the prescription is not the bottle. The prescription is not the 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 the, the issue on on you know of pornography. The issue is not the, the the solution. The prescription is is not some other form. It is still Christ. It is still Christ and Him crucified. Mm-hmm. It is still laying ourselves before the cross of Christ and recognizing that even this, even this, God would use to conform us into the, into the image of His Son. That's so beautifully said, man. And again, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a detour from my notes here for a reason, because as I listen to you, Omaha, again, I, I, I keep in my mind, I keep seeing this imagery of these just young, happy, newlywed couples. You know, just. I, I guess in, 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 in the still in the throngs of uh, the excitement and the uh, pomp and circumstance of uh uh, being married and, and, the, and the initial emotional uh, uh, exaltation of that experience. I get that, guys. I get it. But see, you have to ask yourself, wife, do you love your husband or do you just love the husband as he is right now? You see, he's healthy, vigorous, able to go. You guys are able to go wherever you want to go. Uh, he has, he, he's, he's, he's conversive. He's, you guys have all this stuff in common. And to you too, husband, do you really love your wife biblically or do you just love the wife that you have right now? And what I mean by that, do you love her in all her physical beauty right now? She's young. She's beautiful. She's, she's, uh, she's, uh, you know, 
she's 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 healthy, no issues there. You see, but see, who knows? And I'm not a I'm not a prophet. I don't know. I'm just saying what Virgil just said, Virgil, what you're really talking about. And again, that's why we titled this episode a biblical theology of suffering. Do you have a biblical theology of your marriage so that if and when God allows suffering in it, you're going to maintain a biblical theology of your marriage? Or are you going to say, are you going to sulk in your feelings, in your self-pity, and your woe is me? Well, this isn't like it used to be. She's not like she used to be. He's not like he used to be. You're wishing for the old days to come back. As to as opposed to viewing this situation in light of God's providential will for your life and, and using this to conform you to the image of his son. And Virgil, I have to say this, and I'll get back to my notes after this. Just like Ecclesiastes 7.14 is my favorite verse in the Old Testament. In the day of prosperity, be happy, but the day of adversity, remember that the Lord created the one as well as the other. Hebrews 12, that verse that you just alluded to in Hebrews 12 is the corresponding favorite verse in the New Testament. Because it says of Jesus that he endured the suffering of the cross for the joy that is set before him. It was the joy. It was the it was the joy that Jesus knew was awaiting him Mm -hmm. after the cross. That he endured the cross. See, that's that's how that's how you believe it. That's how you can endure suffering of any manifestation because the joy because of the joy that's awaiting you on the other side of it, and that other side may be in this life, but it may not be. But in the context of Hebrews twelve, it is a joy that is eternal and heavenly, not earthly. So we model Christ, like you just said, Verge. The answer is always Christ. The answer is always, as Thomas Watson said, to rest under the sweet promises of God. That's always the answer. Again, so what are you what are you going to believe? What are you going to choose to believe in those situations? What are you going to choose to believe? That's the bottom line question. You know, Omaha, as we talk about all this, there's a white paper that I came across that was written by Reverend William Gross. William, he goes by Bill, but Reverend William Gross. White paper's titled The Gift of Suffering. William Gross, by the way, is elder pastor at Hope Chapel Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And in that white paper titled The The Gift of Suffering, he shares the the, the following very personal confession, which perhaps reflects on some of the spiritual angst that Job's wife and perhaps someone who may be listening to us right now might be experiencing, but I want to share this for the benefit of our listeners, and I pray that someone who's uh, who can relate to uh, what uh, what I'm about to read can appreciate what uh, Pastor Gross is saying here. But in his white paper titled "The Gift of Suffering," Reverend William Gross says this quote: "He says I have painfully concluded that too often I don't trust God. If something is going well, it seems He wants to take it away from me." perhaps to see if I love him more than what I'm holding on to. He becomes a, quote, taker, unquote, in my mind, a spoiler, a teaser. That's a perverted view of God, of course, 
but emotionally, that's pretty much what I'm feeling. In the old hymn, we're told, Christian, love me more than these. How would I behave if, like Abraham, God demanded of me the one thing I'd waited for all my life? Now, let me pause in that quote uh, for a second here, Omaha, by by, uh, Pastor Gross. This is exactly what I was just talking about a couple minutes ago, especially as it relates to young married couples out there. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Pastor Gross says, how would I behave? If, like Abraham, God demanded of me the one thing I'd waited for all my life. Continuing to quote Pastor Gross. And why does God make such a demand? How does he have the audacity to demand that one thing from me or from anyone? Isn't it his duty, Satan asks, to provide for me as I want to be provided for? Well, to be frank, no, it's not. That's a God of my own making, Pastor Gross says. It's not the God of Scripture. I tend to love the creature and the creation more than I love the Creator. That's my flesh working against my spirit. So God needs to constantly remind me of my right relationship with Him because I won't remind myself. Hello. I love that. He says, God needs to constantly remind me of my right relationship with him because I won't remind myself. And the reminder comes in the circumstance and in the suffering. Suffering presents me with a choice. We aren't asked to be happy about our circumstances or our suffering. We're told to consciously consider the deeper joy that will result from it. I want to repeat that for our listeners. Pastor Gross says we aren't asked to be happy about our circumstances or our suffering. And this goes back, Omaha, to what we were talking about earlier in uh, with respect to the in versus four distinction in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. This is exactly what Reverend Gross is saying here. You're not, we're not asked to be happy about our circumstances or our suffering. We're told to be consciously, to consciously rather consider the deeper joy that will result from it. Calvin Miller, Calvin Miller, rather, uh, Pastor Gross writes this. Calvin Miller wrote, quote, happiness is not the goal of the Christian life. Rather, it is the result of it, unquote. Happiness is not the goal of the Christian life. Rather, it is the result of it. If we cannot express joy, in the moment of our suffering, we must at least accept intellectually that God has our long-term good in mind. That long-term good is not based on our purpose in this world, but only on our purpose in the kingdom of God. And our purpose in the kingdom of God is to know God's mind, to glorify him in this world and the next, and to enjoy him forever. Anything not in pursuit of that purpose is stripped from us and it's replaced with something that is in pursuit of that purpose, unquote. Wow. Now, let me stop here. I know, Omaha, you're usually the one to uh, advise our listeners to do this, but I have to step in and pretend I'm you for a minute, man, and say, if you're listening to this right now, you need to hit the rewind button, wind that back a couple minutes to where I began this uh, quoting from that passage by Reverend William Gross from his white paper, The Gift of Suffering, and listen to that from the beginning. Listen to all that. 
from the beginning because he absolutely nails it. He nails it. He says, no, it's not God's job to make sure you're happy in your circumstances. No, 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 it's not. And he warns you against having or, 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 or being caught off guard to have a fleshly attitude towards your circumstances so as to think that God, as as, Dr., as uh, Reverend Gross said, that, that, that God is a taker. He's a, he's a spoiler. He's a teaser. Or as, 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 I, as I said earlier, that he's some sort of divine ogre, some macabre uh, uh, God who just gets this sort of masochistic joy out of watching you suffer. But go back and listen to that section again. You know, conversely, with respect to what Dr. Uh, Gross just said, conversely, in a white paper titled The Wilderness Sufferers, subtitled A Pastoral Biblical Theology, I'm sorry, A Pastoral Biblical Theological Study of Suffering from Hebrews, Reverend Charles R. Biggs, pastor of Ketokin Covenant Presbyterian Church in Purcellville, Virginia, reminds us of some very important truths that regard us against unbelief and distrust of God in our times of suffering. Pastor Big said this, he said, quote, the Christian life is a race run according to the author of the book of Hebrews. It's a race run. Believers are not to be over-realized in their eschatology. That is, the race believers in Christ run in these last days in the wilderness as people on the way is fraught with difficulties, challenges, and pain. The author of Hebrews teaches us to understand our lives as a pilgrim people in the wilderness of suffering and to remember that Christ, our high priest, himself served in the wilderness and overcame. In the same way as believers who run the race with our eyes fixed on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, so we too can persevere during perilous times and overcome. Although the pain and suffering is real and comes to us in manifold ways, God has spoken his sure and precious promises to us through Christ. Christ in his high priestly work has accomplished our salvation and has been offered up as a propitiation for our sins. Those who would have an over-realized eschatology desire for all the fullness of heaven now, fame, riches, absence of pain, rather than understanding that the author to the Hebrews is teaching the people that as Christ identified with us, so we must identify with him, that is, in his suffering, unquote. Wow, powerful words Mm -hmm. from Reverend Charles R. Biggs from a paper he wrote titled The Wilderness Sufferers, A Pastoral Biblical Theological Study of Suffering from the Book of Hebrews. And therein lies the goal of suffering in the life of the believer, Omaha, that we would identify with with the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and consequently that God's will would become more acceptable to us than our own, as Calvin said. Another way of saying that, is the word sanctification. You touched on that earlier, Omaha. And we know this from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, which reads, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All you have to re- listen, uh, uh, 
professing Christian, listen to me right now. All you have to do is remember those three words. When you're suffering, just remember his good pleasure. Just remember those three words. Bring those three words to mind from Philippians 2.13. His good pleasure. And before I throw it over to you, Omaha, I want to quote from the great theologian of old Princeton, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, B.B. Warfield, who said this. Warfield said, nothing, however small, however strange, occurs without his ordering or without its particular fitness for its place in the working out of his purpose. And the end of all shall be the manifestation of his glory and the accumulation of his praise. The the manifestation of his glory and the accumulation of his praise, that's just another way of saying what we just read in Philippians 2.13, for his good pleasure. Thoughts on all. Yeah, a lot of ground, man, that you covered in that. And as as I kind of reflected on that, man, there's so so many thoughts that run through my mind. I'm thinking about our our listener who's who's walking through the context of what of what you've laid out. There's much to 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 unpack there. I, I am going to encourage them uh, to go back and and read through uh, Reverend William Gross's uh, uh, you know paper uh, titled "The Gift." Of suffering, I think that was incredibly important because what it does is it puts you in a in a in a a, a modern context, right? It's not just words from old. It's it's actually how how we live, how we how we operate. We painfully conclude that often when we're de- when we're dealing with the issue of suffering that we don't trust God. You'd mentioned that 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 earlier, mm-hmm. and that what we actually want in those instances is a God of our own making. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what our heart's desire is. That we you know we have a, a we we need to be constantly reminded of, of our relationship with the Lord and that we, he is the creator of all, uh, and, and that we are, and we, we, we are, but instruments for his glory. Uh, if, if we understand that right relationship, uh, it helps us to endure suffering in a very different and unique way. I think there's nothing more important, uh, in a time of suffering than meditating on the word of God and remembering his benefits. I want to quote, Amen, from, I want to quote from, from scripture. Uh, I, I really, as I thought about this point, uh, where we are in our conversation and, and our discussion about about suffering, I think oftentimes we can get the the idea that, especially after we've shared what we shared about lying under the cross, is that that this is a that that dealing with suffering is is a posture of giving up, and, and, and to a degree it, it is. It's a giving up of of your own expectations, your own personal thoughts or ideas, your own uh, areas or issues of disappointment, but, but, but it, it is not a, an inactive posture. Uh, it, it is not, I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay in the ground and wait until things change. Right. Uh, right. What did we witness? What did we witness Job do? Job worshiped God. That's, that's an, that's an active engagement uh, and, and, an, and an expression of faith in God. Right. That's what we see there. Mm-hmm. David does the same thing in Psalm 103 when he writes this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. When you're doing that, when you're engaged in that, that is that is a that is a posture that 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 takes hold of your heart, your mind, your will and your emotion. This is bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is all that is within me. Bless mm. his holy name. <clears throat> bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Mm-hmm. What, what, we've got to stop 
putting our eyes on what we're giving up or dealing with or the suffering we're engaged mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and remember the benefits of the Lord. And he lays those out for us in verse three, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. All of those are benefits of the Lord that he is reciting and meditating on as he's in this time of suffering. And and that for the believer is exactly the posture that we have to be engaged in. This is not a posture of giving up and and of and of laying out and maybe putting your you know, go, going and laying in the bed and, and pulling the covers up over you. Oh, I'm suffering. Woe is me. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, where you mm-hmm. where you where you do nothing in the hope that, well, this too shall pass and I'll just wait. No, it, it is it is an active it, it is an it is an active stance of engaging the goodness and mercy of God. Verse six says this, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. It's not for you to do. It's not for you to go make right the wrong. This is the work of the Lord. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. For he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse nine, he will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. He does not always deal with us according to our sins, nor repay Mm. us according to our iniquities. This is important for the, I remember earlier when I talked about how we can oftentimes conflate uh, chastisement with with issues of persecution and suffering, where Mm. in in, in chastisement, there are aspects of of our condition that are, are of our own making. Uh, mm-hmm. That are of our own doing because of the sin. Uh, that so, sometimes that's just reaping and sowing. That's just reaping and sowing, basically. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But but even in this, uh, uh, David David acknowledges that right. He will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. Th- that that deals with the issue of chastisement, where we've where we've been the ones who've committed the wrong. Nor does he deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us who fear him. And then the and then the comfort of verse twelve: as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions mm. from us. As a mm. father shows compassion to his children, listen to this. It goes to what you talked about earlier. We 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 see we see God as this as this uh, as this celestial ogre, right? As 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 this mm-hmm, as this mm-hmm. as this person who who can't wait to to, to hit us with the hammer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Verse thirteen it absolutely rejects that view of God as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For as a man, for at as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place is no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord, listen to this, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenants, who remember his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Let me just finish this text out in verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, 
oh my soul. He begins with blessing the Lord with all of his soul. He ends with blessing the Lord with all of his soul. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think as you're going through a time of suffering and going through a time of even chastisement with God, this, this section of scripture will be an important one uh, for you to meditate on and to reflect on and to recite and to repeat uh, and, and, and just, to, just to constantly be thinking about. I wanted to give you a, 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 just a bit of God's word. There's plenty more, but just a place where you can anchor your heart as you reflect upon where God is, is dealing with you, is reprimanding you, is, is chastising you, uh, where there, there are honest issues of, of, of real uh, suffering from a standpoint of, of, of you know, religious persecution, uh, or whether it's just a, 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 a disappointment, a discouragement where there's maybe broken relationship. This is the place for you to land the plane. That's what I've got for that section. Man, I love that, Omaha. As I'm listening to you there, man, the thing I, I was thinking about is that <clears throat> the, the reason he was able to bless the Lord is because he believed God. <laughs> right. You, 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 you can't bless God if you don't believe him. Right. You, you can't. Said, and again, we just keep circling back to that bottom line question. What are you believing? Mm-hmm. What are you choosing to believe? And listen, this is not to suggest or imply or infer that believing God is easy. I'm not saying that at all. Sometimes it's not. Oftentimes it's probably not easy to believe God. But as I heard Dr. R.C. Sproul say once, he says, he says there's a difference between believing in God and believing God. Mm. You got to do both. See, and it's when you're in a situation where you have to believe God that your conviction or your profession that you believe in God is confirmed or not or not. Is, we, 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 we've all been that man in Mark chapter nine, verse 24, right? Omar, mm-hmm. Lord, I believe help my unbelief. Belief, yep. You see, and as you're meditating, as Virgil just said, as you're meditating on those passages of scripture that Virgil just walked you through, go ahead and confess God that you're struggling to trust him. Confess it, bro. That's it. That's it. That, that bro, that right there is critical. I, I again, this, the, a biblical theology of suffering. I think what, 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 what we just laid out in the pointing them to scripture. And then, and then I, I know you're going to follow with some, some things to think about and, 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 and really rejoice in our spirit about as we, as we worship God, this, 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 this will help you. I think combi- combining what, what you're about to share and, and what I just shared, you combine those two, you can engage fully in what Job engaged in, uh, in, in the, in the previous section of scripture we read with Joe worship God, Job worship God. This, this is how you do it. This is exactly how you do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, and let me just say this. I don't mean to be facetious here, but when that text in Job says that Job worshiped God, don't picture in your mind a Chris Tomlin worship song where he repeats the chorus 60 times. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. Because what Virgil alluded to earlier in citing Job initially, Job tore his robe. Mm-hmm. The suffering was real. <coughs> We are not so when we're listen, when we're suffering, God doesn't expect us to walk around as super Christians wearing a big red cape with a big C on the back. And every every step you take, you you hear the superhero trumpet sounding. No. Suffering is real. It hurts. It's painful. You see. But in those situations that Virgil and I have been talking about for what now? about an hour and 50 minutes 
you have to resist the temptation to doubt God's goodness. This is exactly what you just talked about, Virgil, in those passages you just walked us through. You have to remind yourself that God is good. You have to remind yourself that God is righteous. You have to remind yourself that God's that God is holy, that his character, that in, in your suffering, God is still going to be true to his character. And in that suffering, don't try to be super Christian. Confess to God, even if you don't believe him, confess that to him. Tell him. He already knows anyway. Tell him you're confessing that to God is for your benefit, not his. He already knows. But you confessing how you truly, how, how you're truly wrestling with God in your heart is for your sanctification. Because you know what's going to happen is that as you confess God, that you confess your doubts to God, you confess your unbelief to God, confess your distrust to God. You know what God's going to do? As you hang in there, as you don't give up, if as you don't, like Virgil uh, illustrated earlier, as you don't just climb in bed, pull all the covers over your head and say, whoa, is me. As you hang in there, you know what God's going to do? He's going to demonstrate to you that he's exactly who he said he was. He's going to demonstrate that to you. He will. I know from experience, he will do that. So I want to encourage you again, as, as Omaha just said, go and immerse yourself in the scriptures. That's where you have to go. You have no other resource than God and his word. You have no other resource. Trust him, believe him, that he is the God that, that his word describes him to be and that you've known in the past for him to be. Now, that's it. One of my favorite hymns, Omaha, as I get back to my notes, one of my favorite hymns is a hymn titled What God Ordains. That hymn is actually a newer hymn. It's a newer arrangement, rather, a new arrangement by Josh Bowder of an older hymn titled Whatever My God Ordains is Right, which was originally written by Samuel Rodegast in 1675. But the lyrics of this hymn, What God Ordains, are so germane to the topic we've been discussing in this episode of the Just Thinking podcast that I think it would be edifying to our listeners if I were to read all five stanzas of that hymn. Again, read, not sing. Okay. This is one of my favorite hymns. I, I love this hymn. It's titled What God Ordains. And I pray that as I read through these, those of you who may be going through maybe some what you would consider indescribable suffering and pain and adversity right now. I pray that the words of these hymn of this hymn would uh, be edifying and encouraging, uh, encouraging to you. This is what God ordains originally written by Samuel Rodegast back in 1675. What God ordains is always good. His will is just and holy as he directs my life for me. I follow meek and lowly. My God indeed in every need knows well how he will shield me. To him then I will yield me. To him then I will yield me. What God ordains is always good. He never will deceive me. He leads me in his righteous way 
and never will he leave me. I take content what he has sent. His hand that sends me sadness will turn my tears to gladness, will turn my tears to gladness. What God ordains is always good. His loving thought attends me. No poison can be in the cup that my physician sends me. My God is true. Each morning new, I trust his grace unending. My life to him commending. My life to him commending. What God ordains is always good. He is my friend and father. He suffers not to do me harm, though many storms may gather. Now I may know both joy and woe. Some day shall, I shall see clearly that he has loved me dearly, that he has loved me dearly. What God ordains is always good, though I the cup am drinking, which savors now of bitterness, I take it without shrinking. For after grief, God gives relief, my heart with comfort filling, and all my sorrows stilling, and all my sorrows stilling. What God ordains is always good. This truth remains unshaken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, I shall not be forsaken. I fear no harm, for with his arm he shall embrace and shield me. So to my God I yield me. So to my God I yield me. Thoughts on that, Omar? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's beautiful, brother. I I go back to what I said earlier. I want to I want to add just a, a little caveat. I go back to what I said earlier in that I think between songs like the like these, like the one that you just unpacked for our, our listeners, between songs to the Lord and scripture, I, I think the, the the heart of the Christian can be can, can be strengthened as they navigate suffering. I was reminded of. Uh, as, as you were reading that, I thought about our, our brother uh, who, who we'll be running into here uh, next month. Uh, Tim Challies uh, will be uh, will be out in um, in, in uh, Houston, Texas, I believe, uh, at a, at a conference there where he'll be. And I thought about the when he lost his son. Many who are listening to to this uh, particular episode will remember if, you, if you're familiar with with Tim Challies. He's a, a Christian pastor, writer uh, out of uh, Canada. Uh, he had lost his son in a, in a just kind of a tragic situation. At, at the age, his son died at the age uh, of twenty, and uh, he just suddenly collapsed and just ne- never regained consciousness. Um, and, and there was no, no, you know, not not much by by the way of explanation or what happened. And and uh, he and his wife, uh, he, he writes, you know, they they cried until they could not cry anymore, until there were no tears left. I cannot fathom um, the losing of of your son or daughter. You and I have both suffered familial loss. Uh, we've suffered the, the loss of our brothers. Uh, for me, it was a younger brother. Uh, for you, was he younger or older, Daryl? He was older. He was older. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it's one thing to have a sibling pass. 
Um, and and that that's heartbreaking. I, I don't want to take anything away from that. I've had that experience. I I know what that feels like. There's a part of you that that that, that passes with with him. There, there there's there's you know conversations I would love to have with him. There'd be things that I'd be involved in to this day that I know he'd be proud to be a part of. There'd be things I'd want him to be experiencing as a result of 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 our connection that he's no no longer here for. I thought about the same with with Tim Challies and and his son. Uh, you know, his wife and 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 he cried, so they couldn't cry anymore. But one of the things that he says, he writes, he writes this, he says, later that evening, after all the tears, they his wife and he looked at each other and said this, quote, we can do this. We don't mm-hmm. want to do this, but we can mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. This this sorrow, this grief, this devastation, we can do this because we know we don't have to do it in our own strength. We can do it like Christians, like a son and a daughter and a father who knows what our son is to lose. He is a son, end quote. And so he, he, he recognizes God the Father understands the condition, can empathize with, 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 what, with what's taking place as, as, one who, as a father who's given his one and only begotten son, right? And so in, in that way, God can understand the pain uh, of that for the, especially for us in, in our human condition, Christ understands that re- related to us. Uh, he, he's touched with every aspect of, of, of our ang- of, of our angst and infirmity and, and, and insecurity and, and misdirection as a result of, of coming uh, in the flesh and being in the human condition. He understands that we have a high priest who understands that uh, on our behalf, but at the same time, he understands that we can go through it because we're strengthened by the power of God. Uh, that we can navigate life's condition as a result of being empowered by him. The way that is done is through what we've just delivered in the, in the last 10 mm-hmm. minutes of our mm-hmm. episode. It, it is it is through prayer. It is through remembering the goodness of God as we, as we walk through scripture. It is through uh, the, the, the singing and remembering of God's goodness and song. Uh, that's how we navigate this situation. I mean, of, of all of what you've heard of the theology of suffering, a biblical theology of suffering, uh, the, the practical application of that, how it how it presents itself in our real lives, but also the the answer, the solution to it all. It is in the worship of God, and 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 in this very section, in this ten minute, twenty minute section, however long it's lasted. This is the anchor. This is the core of what you need you know. as, as believers. This is the core of what you need. Uh, I, I would remember that. I would mark that. I would go back to that. I would reflect upon that uh, and just encourage you in that way. I appreciate that, man. You know, the, uh, the Apostle Paul confessed in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's Paul in Romans 8.18. Now, I want to pair that verse. I kind of alluded to this earlier, Omaha. I want to pair Romans 8.18 with Hebrews 12, verses 1b through the first part of verse 2, where the author of Hebrews writes this. He says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, my point in setting those two verses alongside each other is this. When believers view, when we as believers view our suffering in light of the glory that is to be revealed, and conversely, just as Christ did for the joy that was set be, that is set before us, we can then endure our sufferings with joy, and I mean with genuine joy. That's a big deal for me. It is a huge deal for me that Christians 
live lives of joy. And we can do that, man. You've been preaching that Omaha throughout this entire episode. You just said it. Christ is the core. Christ is the core. When Christ is your core, you can endure suffering with joy. You don't just tolerate it. You endure it with joy. The 19th century Presbyterian minister James Waddell Alexander said this in, in, in speaking of that, in speaking of enduring our sufferings with joy. James Waddell Alexander said this. He said, the truth is, earthly joys are everyday diminishing. And the susceptibility of pleasurable excitement from earthly causes grows less and less with the decay of natural sensibility. This would be a melancholy truth if we had no resource but terrestrial things and no world but this. But thanks be to God, there are susceptibilities which do not grow old and capacities which increase with exercise. And while earthly excitements lose their power, those which are heavenly grow stronger and stronger, unquote. That was James Waddell Alexander, a 19th century Presbyterian minister. And what I loved about uh, what Alexander had to say there, when he talked about the truth is that earthly joys are everyday diminishing, all you have to do is go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes if you doubt that. <laughs> Read the entire, read all cha- all twelve chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, and you will learn the truth of what James Waddell Alexander is saying. Is that as we and what he's saying is that as we get older, that's kind of how life works, folks. If you're breathing and your heart is beating, you're getting older every millisecond that that clock ticks. But those pleasurable and, and exciting and enjoyable moments of this world, they tend to decay. They tend to lose value. This is exactly what Ecclesiastes is warning us about, the book of Ecclesiastes. A lot of people don't don't like to read Ecclesiastes because they say, oh, Ecclesiastes is too depressing. Well, it, it, it will be depressing if you have this sort of prosperity gospel view of life. Ecclesiastes is a, is a book about reality in this world. That's what, that's what Ecclesiastes shows you. It shows you the reality of life in a sinful world. So I encourage you to to go rewind this portion of the episode, listen to that quote from those words from uh, James Waddell Alexander in light of what you will study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, along the same train of thought of uh, what, uh, what James Waddell Alexander was saying, the 19th century British theologian Thomas Reed Reed is spelled R-E-A-D-E. Thomas Reed said this, quote, he said, Christian joy is not a tumultuous passion or feverish affection, but a calm and composed frame, a holy serenity of soul, a gladsome rest in the faithfulness and grace of Jesus. It sheds a luster over the countenance, beams forth at the eye, and often causes it to be suffused in tears. It creates an indescribable delight in the heart, unquote. That was Thomas Reed. Christian joy is an indescribable delight in the heart, in the heart. That's where it takes place. And understand this, consider what uh, Thomas Reed said here. He said, Christian joy is a gladsome rest in the faithfulness and grace 
of Jesus. And that comes back to, again to what do you believe about God? Do you believe he's faithful? You'll respond accordingly if you do, really, if you do or don't. Now, conversely, as we've heard from Thomas Reed, the Puritan Octavius Winslow, he had this encouragement for us concerning spiritual joy. Winslow said this. He said, there is everything in Christ to make you a joyful Christian. This is exactly what you've been talking about, Omaha. Taking us back to Christ, taking us back to Christ, taking us back to Christ because Christ is the core. Christ is all you have, listener. He's all you have. There's everything in Christ to make you a joyful Christian. There is all redundance of grace to subdue your corruptions, an overflowing sympathy to soothe your sorrows, a sovereign efficacy in his blood to cleanse your guilt, infinite resources to meet all your needs. Winslow says his ever, that is speaking of Christ, his ever encircling presence around your path, his ceaseless intercession on your behalf in heaven, his loving attention of all you feel and fear and need that Christ in Christ, you have infinite resources to meet all your needs. Infinite. Now you can only say that about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only person of whom it can be said that he has infinite resources to meet all your need. Now, those words from Alexander, Reed, and Winslow serve only to remind us of what the scriptures tell us in Acts 14, verse 22, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, it is in light of that sobering reality, the very sobering reality of that text, Omaha, that I want to share the following words from John Flavel from his book, Keeping the Heart, for our thoughtful and prayerful consideration. In Keeping the Heart, John Flavel said this, quote, it may keep one more, it may, it may keep one more humble and more watchful in prosperity to consider that among Christians, many have been much the worst because of it. Much the worst because of prosperity is what Flavel is saying. How good it would have been for some of them if, that hate, if they had never known prosperity. When they were in a low condition, how humble, spiritual, and heavenly they were. But when advanced, what an apparent alteration happened to their spirits. Outward gains are ordinarily attended with inward losses. As in a low condition, their civil enjoyments were accustomed to have a savor of their religious duties. So in an exalted condition, their duties commonly have a savor of the world. He indeed is rich in grace, whose graces are not hindered by his riches. Did you hear that, listener? John Flavel in his book, Keeping the Heart, says he indeed is rich in grace, whose graces are not hindered by his riches. I'm reminded of that as a Think about Flavel's words at Omaha. I'm reminded of what it says in Psalm 62.10. It says, when riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Mm-hmm. What you got, man? I, I'll start with the, the very end of what you just read. And I think about for uh, the American Christian, right? The, the, the American evangelical, uh, how difficult it is to find joy, how easy it is for us to go back to what you were talking about from the very beginning, how much easier it is for us to complain, 
for us to be discouraged, uh, for us to, to, to be upset based upon unmet expectations. Why? Because we are so wealthy. Uh, I, I say that regardless yes. of your socioeconomic yes. condition, if you live in the United States of America with, it, with all of its safety nets and such, we have so much wealth, so much in the way of, of monetary riches uh, that it is easy for us to get caught up in them and to have the, and, and the, the prosperity gospel doesn't help. Uh, we'll be caught up in our, in our own wealth and riches. And then we follow a false, a false doctrine that tells us that, that we're even more godly with the more wealth that we have, uh, mm. when that's yeah. taken when that's taken away from us, the, our first response is to complain because we've idol we, we we've made an idol out of that wealth. It has become our golden calf to what we believe to be joy, uh, mm. and 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 God through suffering removes that from us in the hope that we'll cling to His cross. We'll cling to the cross of Christ and, and that we'll see the beauty and joy in him. And once we find it in him, oftentimes we're then, we're then given back. We, we'll often receive back the wealth. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's exactly what happened to Job, right? We go, we go through chapter after chapter after chapter of loss. And then in the end, it, it, it's all given back to him. I, I remember, and I bet you remember this too, Daryl. I remember in, in, in the prosperity gospel church or the charismatic church or whatever you want to call it, the Pentecostal church where mm-hmm. a, where a prosperity gospel is more, uh, is, 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 is preached more often. They would leverage the book of Job, not, not for what it said, but, but toward the end, right. They would, they would amplify yeah. Job was blessed back, you know, three times more, he you know, I, more, greater, <laughs> greater and greater and greater riches, you know? So, so, so the focus was on the, the, the wealth coming back and not on how, what Job learned of God, uh, how Job experienced God's revelation of himself, uh, of, of God to him, uh, rather than, than, than the idea of the monetary blessings coming back. And I think, I think you know, uh, Flavel is right here with regard to, you know, uh, he indeed is rich in grace whose graces are not hindered by his riches. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not preaching a, a, a poverty gospel either. Right. So it's, right. It's right. Either, exactly. You're not it's, preaching it's, the opposite either. No, no. It's neither a prosperity gospel nor a poverty gospel. But 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 to understand rightly that the good news of the message of Christ is in the, his death, burial and resurrection and that we maintain our focus of, of the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ, given to us in all circumstances, not just for not, not just for the purpose of our justification, but indeed for the purpose of what we've been talking about during our time together for the purpose of our sanctification and the sanctifying work that comes in the way of suffering. I'll, I'll mention this as, as, as I turn it back over to you, as, as I speak to you, I'm in my, my office uh, here at G3 and, and uh, our office is connected to our church and, and our church family. And uh, I, I'm, I, I'm witnessing in, in, in a matter of hours, uh, they're, they're about to celebrate uh, the homegoing of, of Miss Patty Ellis. Uh, yes. Pat, Patty, Patty Ellis, uh, for those who, who don't know, uh, mother-in-law to Josh Bice, uh, uh, m- mom uh, to his, his dear wife, uh, Carrie, and, uh, you know, their whole family, you know, has, has mourned her, her is, is in mourning of her loss. But as I watch uh, different members of our church enter the doors here, I, I know there will be sadness, uh, but there's also a joy. Uh, there's a there's a joy on the faces of those who see family who are who are who are connecting with the church family here as people. It's it's unbelievable to see and 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 I can't wait later this afternoon 
to go and, and rejoice uh, in, in, in the life that God had given her and the way that she honored God with it, uh, but also in the sadness of her departure. But, but we don't, we don't, we don't, uh, we, we don't mourn as others mourn. There, there's the joy of knowing that we'll engage her, we'll see her again, but that she's now uh, not, no longer suffering uh, from any kind of, 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 of ailment, of any kind of disease, of any of any of the cancer that racked through her her body, uh, but that she's indeed with the Lord and that she's experiencing joy. And as a result, we navigate this life differently when we deal with suffering because of our knowledge of who God is apart from this word, apart from these truths that we've, that we've taken the last two hours to unpack apart from, apart from this, apart from anchoring your soul in this, you absolutely have nothing. You have no hope. There's no joy. There's, there's, there's no reason to experience joy apart from what we've been given in the way of, of God's revelation of himself to us through the scriptures. You know, when you talk about us be responding differently, it it, it, it lines up with what scripture with, with what scripture says. We're just behaving in a manner that matches who we are, which is aliens and strangers. Mm-hmm. We're aliens and strangers. That's a, that's a, saying that we respond differently. It's just a, it's, we're just in, in saying that you're just recapitulating what scripture says. We are we're, we're aliens and strangers, so we should respond differently to suffering than the world does because that's who we are aliens aliens and strangers is who we are as believers unbelievers are not aliens and strangers to this world they're citizens of this world they're they're they are conformed to this world they're not being conformed to christ so that's that's a this great point you make great point matter of fact speaking of the uh home going of uh pastor bice's uh mother-in-law uh i want to start to wrap us up here by taking our listeners to Revelation chapter 21, verses three and four. Mm-hmm. Revelation 21, verses three and four. And in the NASB, that passage reads as follows. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. Mm. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That was revelation chapter 21 verses three and four. So when we talk about the joy set before us, how we can endure as Christ did, as Christ is our model, how we can endure suffering and adversity for the joy set before us. This passage here in Revelation 21 gives you a picture of what the joy that awaits you looks like and is going to consist of. There will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. All three of those are elements that are found in suffering. There's mourning, there's crying, there's pain. In heaven, there's no more of that. This is an example <clears throat> Omaha, of what we talk about as we travel across the country when we have opportunities to talk about how uh, all of life is, is eschatological and how eschatology is not just 
talking about things that come to an end. But things that end and other things that begin. This is what we're looking at in Revelation 24. When we see here things that no longer will be, that is to say, yes, that these things once were, but these things are coming to an end and have come to an end. And this is what's going to be the new beginning. The new beginning is that there's no longer any death. I mean, just imagine that, Omaha. No more death. No one will die. No one will ever mourn again. No one will cry. There will no no more be any pain because those things have passed away forever. Now, as we prepare to close out this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, Omaha, I want to leave our listeners with two passages. Mm -hmm. Two passages. One, that's more a passage of encouragement, which is from the book, The Bruised Reed, by the 17th century Puritan Richard Sibbs. And then I'm going to follow that up with a passage that's more application, okay? But I want to leave our listeners with this passage from the, the book, The Bruised Reed, by the 17th century Puritan Richard Sibbs. And in that book, Sibbs says this, quote, we must conceive of a bruising either as a state into which God brings us or as a duty to be performed by us. We must join with God in bruising ourselves. When he humbles us, let us humble ourselves and not stand out against him, for then he will redouble his strokes. Let us justify Christ in all his chastisements, knowing that all his dealing towards us is to cause us to return into our own hearts. His work in bruising tends to our work in bruising ourselves. Let us lament our own perversity and say, Lord, what a heart have I that needs all this, that none of this could be spared. We must lay siege to the hardness of our own hearts and aggravate sin all we can. We must look on Christ who was bruised for us. Look on him whom we have pierced with our sins. But all directions will not prevail unless God by the Spirit convinces us deeply, setting our sins before us and driving us to a standstill. Then we will cry out for mercy. Conviction will breed contrition, and this leads to humiliation. Therefore, desire God that he would bring a clear and strong light into all the corners of our souls and accompany it with a spirit of power to lay our hearts low. Unquote. That was Richard Sibbs from the Bruce Reed, and he's saying there to petition the Lord for a heart. To as opposed to viewing your sin, your suffering rather, as an opportunity to sin. To view it as an opportunity to humble yourselves before the Lord and lay your hearts low. And I'll close with this. Again, I'm going to refer to the book Keeping the Heart from John Flavel that I quoted from earlier. And in that book, Flavel writes this quote, cultivate a habit of communion with God. This will prepare you for whatever may happen. This will so sweeten your temper and calm your mind to safeguard you against surprises. 
This will produce that inward peace, which will make you superior to your trials. Habitual communion with God will give you enjoyment, which you will never want to interrupt by sinful feelings. When a Christian is calm and submissive under his afflictions, he can derive support and comfort in this way. But he who is upset, impatient, or fretful shows that everything is not right inside himself. It cannot be assumed in that person that he is having communion with God, unquote. So Flavel says that in your suffering, suffering, cultivate a habit of communion with God, and that doing so will prepare you for whatever may happen. Omaha, what you got, man, to close us out? Man, I think that closes us out. I mean, it really does. I, I love what uh, what he said there is as we're navigating suffering, as we believe ourselves to be submitting to the Lord, here is the test case, right? Here is if, if you if you want to if you want to examine whether or not you are enduring suffering in a God honoring way, what, what, what Flavel does here is he gives you the blueprint. He says, when a Christian is calm right. and submitted under his affliction, right. he can derive support and comfort in this way. But he who is upset, impatient, or fretful shows that everything is not right inside of him. And and in that right. regard, if you if you if you're going if you're enduring suffering, believing yourself to be submitting your heart to God, and recognize that you're upset, impatient, and fretful, we're still dealing with issues of of pride and sinfulness, and 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 those need to be repented of. As you as you undergo God's hand in this regard, and so I think I think that's a great place to land the plane. We've given folks a tremendous amount to think about, and and as we as we talked about at the very beginning of the uh, of the of, of the episode, this you know this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, right? This is at least that's what the song says. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the reality is, and the statistics show uh, that this is this is one of the most challenging times of the year for so many people and 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 in particularly those who profess the name of Christ but for us uh we don't endure suffering hardship or or even persecution in the way that the world does for us it looks differently uh, and my hope would be that in our time together uh during this podcast that you have some things to anchor your soul in uh so that as you endure suffering separation struggle uh, challenges uh, today and in the days to come, uh, that this will be a resource that you'll turn to. And that resource, not only being from from uh, the, the podcast, but the, but the resource we used over and over and over again on this podcast, which was the word of God. Word that, of would, God. That, would be, yeah. that would be my hope for all those who are listening. It's with that that I'll say this as I close. Uh, we're excited that you joined us for this episode. Tune in next time for the next edition of the Just Thinking Podcast.
Thinking, thinking, thinking.